As I said, every week we think maybe next week we'll be back to normal, this week we'll be back to normal, and every week presents new challenges. But in one sense, we're back to 1 Corinthians. It's been probably six weeks since we started the Summer in the Psalms, which I hope you enjoyed. We kicked off September, and then I was gone last week uh, to a camp, I guess you probably told you to, where I grew up and stayed part of that, encouraging uh, their ministry back in Maryland. So the last time we were in 1 Corinthians, I shared with you what had, has been for me the most impactful piece of scripture of my entire life. It is the one verse, and you may have one like this, that, that just changed the course of your life. And that is 1 Corinthians 10.31. I'd been encouraged to read my Bible every day and to read a chapter a day, and I wasn't perfect at it, but I was working my way uh, through the New Testament. And it took me a while, but when I came to this verse, it was like a bolt of lightning, God speaking to me. And it wasn't one of those happy moments. It, it was a very convicting moment, very convicting, because the Apostle Paul is saying, in whatever you do, do everything to God's glory. Now, we talk about God's glory, in other words, your, your opinion of God, his majesty, all of his attributes, that, that you do everything to please him. You do everything to please him. And the reason that confronted me is I, is I realized that I was doing everything to please myself. I just was, that's the way I was living. And I think a lot of us live that way. And the end result over about a two-day process was me saying, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm going to do this. I had no idea what it would look like, but I, kinda, I went from being a very miserable person because I was so self-centered, and I think that's where self-centeredness leads us to a lot of misery. We think, I'm going to do it my way, I'm going to do it like, and it, it leads to misery, to submitting my life to the authority of Christ. And that did uh, profoundly change my life. So the following day after I'd made that decision, I went into chapter 11. And so I'm going to a verse that has really impacted my life. I get this. I understand this. I'm responding to this. Then I go into chapter 11, and it, and it says, Paul says, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. Or we could say, follow me as I also follow Christ, which makes a lot of sense. A lot of, it's a lot of help to me because I'm thinking, okay, how do I glorify God? And Paul is saying, come on, come along, follow my example. So not only what, what do I do, but now um, how do I do that? So I'm, I'm kind of, for the first time in my life, on a roll of understanding the scriptures, making the ap application, getting it, and being really excited about its transforming power in my life. And then I come to verse 2 of chapter 11, and I'm thinking, what is this all about? <laughs> Uh, instructions about head coverings. I'm thinking, okay. And um, so I'm reading on through this, and I'm not getting any of it. It doesn't make a lot of sense. And, and typically when, when this happens to us, we either just kind of like, okay, well, I'll just skip over, over this or gloss over it, or I, I have no idea what they're talking. You ever get that idea when you're reading the scriptures? I have no idea what they're talking about here. 
I'm just going to move on to the next thing where I do understand it. <laughs> um, that can be one response. The second response would be to misinterpret it. In other words, what this is saying and what it means, and you, that is not what that means. And Christians are famous for that. Um, a lot of times they make it say what they want it to say, or they get something. That's how heresies happen. Um, the third way would be the way that I want to do it today is to dig into this. Now, probably no pastor in his right mind would pick this section to preach on. You know, I mean, there, there's so many other sections. But I'm telling you this, after going through it the last several weeks, I'm really excited about talking not so much about head coverings for women, but the relevance of it. Remember this, all Scripture is equally accurate. It's equally truthful. It's equally inspired. All Scripture, from beginning to end, is God's Word. It's not all equally relevant. But even the most obscure passages or harder to understand passages do have relevance because he, he says that to us in the Word. Uh, all Scripture is profitable for us. And so my prayer is this, even though it's been kind of a more challenging week studying this, um, my prayer is this, that when we walk away today that you've received encouragement in your Christian life and some practical application. So when, when we think of, of these uh, traditions and customs, we're going to have those two words, which typically that makes us recoil, traditions and customs. And, and Paul is really going to advocate for some, some, some traditions and some customs to call people to them. And we're going to see uh, his thinking behind that. So when we study God's Word, when you pick it up and you're reading through a chapter, we're guided by, I think, in at least three ways. One would be what we call precepts. In other words, this is a direct command of God. It's very clear, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal. And we see a direct command back in chapter 10, verse 31, glorify God and everything you do. That's a command. So we call that a precept. Secondly, you have a principle. And a principle is, is kind of a guide that you have summed up this command or a truth and, and tried to make it a, a transcending standard for your life. You live by certain principles. And we may articulate them in different ways, whereas God's word is God's word exactly. A principle would be Something like, okay, God has called me to glorify him in everything I do. The principle that I want to live by is that everything I think, everything I say, everything I do should please God. Okay, That's, that's a principle that I would live by. And a, a principle is true. If, for a principle to be true, it has to be true anywhere every, and every time. It, it transcends all of that. It can't just be true here. Now, a practice is the third, and, and we would put customs and traditions under practices. Practices are going to change because culture changes, um, applications change, and different Christians are going to have different practices. And so those are three of the things that we work through. Let me just kind of give you a, an example for, for me. When I read this verse years ago, glorify God in your body, your, your mind, everything, you know, in your life. So I kind of said, okay, I'm going to, I hear the command. My principle is 
mind, words, actions. I want to please God. So I'm on a trip one time. I used to travel a lot uh, with the college and uh, stay in a hotel room, have a long day of meetings, speaking, go in, flip the TV on, see what's on, click, 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 click. In a hotel room, what are you going to run across? Well, you don't need to say it, but you're, you're going to run across stuff that you probably shouldn't, it's not good for you. It's not, it's not glorifying to God, right? So I could just take the philosophy, stop it. I'm not going to do that again, okay? So I tried that a few times. It doesn't really work. You know, I have like that, what you call, sinful nature, like the rest of you do. And so I decided that I'm going to make a rule for myself, <laughs> that I will not turn on a, if I'm staying in the hotel room by myself, I'm never, I'm not going to turn the TV on. Okay. Now, why did I do that? Because I want to glorify God in everything I do, and I realize there's a battle that I don't want to lose to this battle, and so... I, I create a practice, a tradition, a habit. Now, the reason that's not a principle is because there was a day in the past, there were no TVs. There may be a day in the future where there were no TVs. That's why traditions will come and go. They're helpful, but they're not the word of God. It's, it's different, but sometimes they're helpful. Now, here's where it goes wrong. If I'm, if I'm practicing this and the guy that I'm traveling with is staying in the room across the hall, and I go knock on his door because we're going out to dinner, and I, and I listen, and I, he has his TV on. He's in there by himself. And he comes out, and I read him the riot act about how wrong that is. And see, that's, that's how we get in trouble with traditions. We've kind of connected the several dots. It's been helpful to us, and we force it on people. However... When I've learned some of these things, I'll talk to a younger guy that's going into ministry or he's going into leadership or he's traveling, uh, and he asks me, so Matt, what do you do to help protect yourself, you know, on, on various things? I'll tell, I'll tell him some of these things. You know, so those traditions can be helpful, but it's different from being God's word. So that's just a, a help, I think, in studying God's word to, to remember those things. So the text, we're going to read through this, and um, I know you're probably going to have more questions <laughs> after I get done reading this, but uh, follow with me as we will work through this this morning. This is verse 2 of chapter 11. Now I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold fast to the traditions just as I delivered them to you. But I want you to know that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of the woman, and God is the head of Christ. Every man who prays or prophesies with something on his head dishonors his head. Every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. Since that is one of the same as having her head shaved, or in other words, she might as well have her head shaved. For if a woman doesn't cover her head, she should have her hair cut off. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off, or her head shaved, let her head be covered. Pretty exciting stuff, isn't it? <laughs> a man should not cover his head because he is the image and glory of God. So too the woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman came from man. Neither was man created for the sake of woman, but woman for the sake of man. This is why a woman should have a symbol of authority on her head 
because of the angels. In the Lord, however, woman is not independent of man, and a man is not independent of woman. For just as a woman came from man, so man comes through woman, and all things are from God. Judge for yourselves, is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him? But that if a woman has long hair, it is her glory? For her hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to argue about this, we have no other custom, nor do the churches of God. Okay. Now you can see why I can say, okay, I'm going to read the next chapter. <laughs> and, and what it does is it, it provokes us to think in ways um, that are not accurate about God and about what's being said. Because we, we tend to interpret uh, Scripture by, the, by our own environment. And that's, that's a very important part of this. And so we're going to look at this, this passage, these verses, in three ways. One is text. What does it say? What, what does it say? Second part is what we call culture and context. Because there's a meaning. It's not just what it says. It's what it means to these people at that time in first century Greece. And then the third part is the application is how do how do we apply it to where we're living today so that's kind of how we'll work through on um, the outline of the message so we hold these traditions and basically what he is saying is the tradition women should wear head coverings in worship and and particularly married women that's another thing to, to distinguish is talking about married women and men should not wear head coverings in church that's okay brett you're good just so you know. And the rest of you women that are not wearing head coverings, you're okay too. Why? He's addressing the question because what's happened is, is there's controversy. And this whole letter, he's writing a letter to people he loves in the church, and they started out really well. Now they're in lots of conflict. And, and one of those things is about the wearing of head coverings. So he's addressing a, a very real problem. The... The basis of the tradition of wearing a head covering is for the Jewish people, it's a, a physical expression of a spiritual reality. A lot of times there would be that type of thing where you're doing something outwardly that expresses a spiritual truth. And Paul is always going to go back to grounding in the foundational truths. So when he talks about God, then Christ, then man, then woman. He is talking about, he's going back to Genesis of creative order. There are several things to understand that, that help us understand marriage relationship, church relationship, all relationships. God is three persons in one. We call that the Trinity. They are equal. They are equal. In fact, there is so much scripture that shows us they are equal, but there's also order. In other words, God, the Father, God the Son incarnate comes from the Father. The Son commissions the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is just as much God as God the Father, so is Christ just as much as the Father. So it is not a question of equality, but of function. And God is a God of order. 
There is a creative order. God made man, and after everything he created, like he created the, the sun, moon, and stars, created the earth, he, all the way he created, and after everything he created, he said, it's good, it's good, it's good. After he created man, what did he say? I can, I can do better than that. So, no. <laughs> he, notice this, though, that God did not say it is good until he took from the side, okay, not from the foot to be ruled over in that way, not from the head for her to rule over it, but from his side. And he brought the woman to the man, and the two became one flesh, and he said, that's good. That's good. And, and so it's really important that we always go back to how God established things, and we build off our belief system through that order through scriptures. The same way with the church. Um, the church is designed with many people, and we all have values. Some have different roles. In fact, we get into 1 Corinthians 12, we talk about that, that everyone has a different role. Because I'm up speaking, or I'm an elder, doesn't mean I have greater value than anyone else here. But I have a different function, and I'm responsible, and, and God works all of that. So the idea in the marriage, men and women, is not competing, which is really what the world will want us to believe, and that's kind of the societies. We're competing for attention or competing for jobs. No, when he brings two people into one flesh, it's completing, it's completion. It's not conflict. So there is equality, and, and here's the thing that you're going to see in the scriptures. God elevates values women. Jesus elevated and valued women. Just go through the New Testament. Paul elevates and values women. So it is not a question of equality, but of functionality. And then I like to tell people, too, is I don't, I'm not into this submission thing. And in fact, when I, when I do a wedding, I always wonder if someone's going to say, we're not into that submission thing. <laughs> okay. But you have to realize Jesus, though he was equal with God, submitted to his father, came down to earth, obeyed the father, submitted and laid down his life on a cross to give us eternal life. He modeled submission. Men need to submit. You heard me. How do we submit? I submit to Christ by loving my wife the same way Christ loved me, unconditionally and sacrificially. That's a, that's a tall order, isn't it? The same way women submit to their husbands as Christ did to his father. And so it, it's working in all of us. All of us are called to have a healthy relationship. We're called to die to self, to not glorify self, but to glorify God. So that's the, the basic idea. Two Hebrew words, which I'll not um, try to pronounce them, because I always try to, everybody pronounces these differently, but one, describe the helper, that God has a man, the woman, the complete. One word means to come alongside and complete. So man is incomplete. Woman comes alongside, complete, it is good. That's one word. The other word is 
is opposite and of the same value and worth. Opposite, but of the same value and worth. So that was a bit of the, that's what the scripture is saying about men and women. But let's, let's look at, because the culture and context makes a big difference here. The big picture of head coverings. Uh, how many of you have looked at pictures back of, uh, say, like the Yankees and Red Sox game back in 1920? How did the people dress? I mean, every person you see has a hat on, right? I mean, everyone, they have a hat on. And the guys are all in suits, and their shirts are starched. How many of you used to wear starched shirts? You know, I used to, I used to do that. Just send them out, you know, because they have these crisp collars. Now, why aren't we all wearing hats today? It's just one of those, you know, I usually, I do, Diane always tells me, when you go outside, put a hat on, so it'll burn the top of your head. <laughs> there are different reasons. Um, but it just, it's one of those traditions, customs, and culture. In fact, most parts of the world, if you go back through history, um, head coverings is just a part of all of culture. So not just here. And we've, we've watched a lot of those things change over time. So what would have been appropriate dress for a Major League Baseball game in 1920, uh, you'd look a little odd if you showed up that way today. Um, same if we were to go back in time and do that. So in our times today, um, you go into a building, um, you, you go to a ball game and they say, let's stand for the national anthem. And they'll say, I'm not sure if it's gentlemen, remove your hats. You know, they, there's still some semblances of that. I know if you're in the military, um, in, in the services, you walk into a building, you remove your cap. I used to watch my dad do that. You're outside, you have your cap on. So is there a religious significance? Uh, probably not with, you know, maybe way, way back, but I doubt that even though in cultures around the world today, um, head coverings is pretty common, I don't think everyone has the same reason or they wouldn't give you the same explanation for it. So when we look at uh, the Jewish people, um, for them, they would communicate. Um, it's a sign of honor, um, respect. It is a... Um, a head covering, when you say, well, why, why does a woman have a head covering when she's married, not married? Now, this is getting a little complicated, so I have to read a lot of Jewish uh, culture books, which isn't all exciting, but here's what it said. A, a woman's hair, um, long, beautiful hair, is attractive to men. So when a woman is single, she lets her hair down, okay? She's available. When she gets married, she covers it up so no other guys are looking. <laughs> that's kind of the Reader's Digest version. Um, so that's how, that's how that would come. Also, when a man got married, for her to wear a covering was a sign to others that she is under his protection and security and provision and care. It, it, it is an expression of his love for his wife, not that he is over her in a pressing down way. Now, many of the cultures in that part of the world today um, treat women very poorly, and we, we see that. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's horrible. But for the Jew, um, this 
head covering was an expression of protection, of authority. I, I'm responsible for her provision, leading her and loving her, giving her security. Um, here's the interesting thing. There is not one verse that I can find in Scripture that gives us the command, women, cover your heads, men, don't cover your heads. So the teaching of the Bible is not part of the Ten Commandments. In fact, I don't even see it anywhere else where believing Jews are commanded to do this. It, this, this tradition was formed, this practice was formed off a principle, off the command of becoming one flesh. See what I'm saying? So this, this, it'd be really hard to go preach a sermon on God says, because God, I don't see where God says this. Now, Paul is saying this, to have this tradition for a reason, okay? And one of those is this. You, you have in this, a, this church, this body, you know, like you picture our group of people, three different cultures colliding. You have Jewish culture, which, which have all of this. You have Greek culture, which head coverings means nothing other than it's kind of a respectful thing to have a head covering. If you're, it, it's, just, it's just part of their culture, but not, it's not pervasive through their culture. But, but they're coming from a totally different background. And then you have what you would call pagan culture. Now, I know that sounds kind of harsh, but, it, but it's really not just people who don't believe in God, but they are anti-God. So Corinth was famous for these temples of worshiping idols. And in these temples, there would be uh, prostitution going on. And male prostitutes would be identified with really long hair. And female prostitutes would be identified with really short hair or shaved heads. Okay, so that, that, that's not our culture, right? So that's why you have to take into context, this is, this is and, and the church is filled with all of these people. And what's, what's happening is you can have some of the Jews saying, you know what, God never commanded it, it's not in the scripture, I'm not doing it. And so taking off the, women taking off the head covering, throwing it down, or saying, I'm going to, Wear the hair like other people, and now people are arguing over trivial stuff. I mean, and this, this is typically what splits churches. You've probably heard stories. What they they're not dividing over the resurrection of Christ. They divide over the color of the carpet or music or stylistic things or Someone is, we got rid of the hymn books and now we're using overheads. I can't believe this. You know, I mean, it, it, you've probably seen this over the course of your time. There are so many things for people to get worked up about. And, and Paul is trying to diffuse this and, the, and bring them back to unity. A couple things that are, are good to note about men and women in that time, what Paul is saying about, you know, this... Uh, concept of women are subservient to men, that they're lower and lesser of value. Here's what he says in Galatians 3. He says, you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. For those of you who were baptized into Christ or placed into Christ have been clothed with Christ. 
There is no Jew or Greek or slave or free, male or female, since you are all one in Christ. It's pretty powerful, isn't it? So it's not male, female, Jew, Greek. You're all one in Christ. You have equal value. Now, he had written Galatians before he wrote 1 Corinthians, so some of those people may say, well, I'm going to exercise my liberty. I'm going to exercise my right. And when they do, it, um, it not only causes, causes conflict, but they're kind of jumping on the bandwagon of, of popular culture. And this is a tough thing to navigate through, um, popular culture, because not all elements of our popular culture are evil, right? I mean, there are things that are they're, they're fine, but there are some elements that we would say that's not, it's not good for a Christian. So thus for the need for discernment. So a popular saying, and they'd have all these slogans in Corinth uh, because it was, remember how we talked about wisdom, they're all about wisdom and they have all these wise sayings. And here's one of the wise sayings, um, all things are lawful or everything is permissible. Now, do you hear that today? I mean, it's kind of like the, we don't believe in absolute truth. Um, and as one philosopher said, when, when you don't have ab any absolute truth, everything is permissible. So the philosophy that the current popular culture philosophy was, anything goes. Whatever you want to do, you do. So church people are impacted and influenced by popular culture. School systems, media, internet, Every day you walk out of your house, we're influenced by popular culture. And one of, the, one of the real sad things for us today is that so many Bible preachers, pastors, will interpret this by popular culture rather than interpreting popular culture by this. To me, we begin with the text in context before we can make effective application. If, if, I, if I'm reading my Bible with just the lens of popular culture, I will misinterpret what God is saying. It's, and, and when I do that, it's going to lead me to faulty conclusions, and it will divide healthy relationships. And that, this, this is the part, even though the hat rule, the hat, or the hat tradition is to me, pretty irrelevant in function today here. I mean, it is irrelevant. The principle is incredibly relevant. And that's what we need to see. You understand the principle that, that he is, is giving us. So Jews divided, Greeks divided, and the community turned off uh, because the church is fighting among themselves. <laughs> they, have, they no longer have a witness to the world they think, who wants to be a part of that? They, they've lost their joy. They've lost their peace. They've, they've lost their unity all over lesser things. And so this is why he, he brings this message. So, so his call is to really show respect, to show honor. We show honor to God above all, and then we show honor and respect to one another. Now what's interesting is there, a, there was a time when Peter, this is in Galatians, 
Peter started um, practicing things in the culture, some traditions, and Paul got all over him about it. You say, well, then why is he getting all over Peter and he's not getting all over these people? It's because what Peter was doing was clouding and confusing the gospel. In other words, it, it was making the gospel look like a works-based way to heaven. And that's why he confronted him. It wasn't just the practice that he had. So how do I process my behavior in the world today? Number one is I, as I honor God in everything, as I said, my, my thoughts, my words, my actions, and he is my supreme authority, and I will follow him. And then there are other governing agencies, community, family, work. So how do you know what to respond to? I said you respond to the authorities that are in your life, but what happens when something in government conflicts with what God said? Who do you follow? Well, I think you always, you always go back to God. Just make sure. <laughs> so I tell because I wrestle through this. Especially the last couple of years here, you wrestle through what's God called me to do, what's the world demanding that I do, and we need to really pray about this and process this. I don't want to be a coward to do the right thing, but I don't want to be like a bull in the china shop doing something that really that's not what God's saying for me to do. And that's why I come back to this. The only way to live the Christian life is in the word every day, praying that God would give you guidance and, and, and show you what to do in making some of these decisions. The wisdom comes from above. It's not from this world. It's going to be different from this world. So verse 16, this is the very last verse. It says, if anyone wants to argue, and, and this is where it comes to the application. So I, I hope you're saying, I hope you give us something practical out of this. <laughs> What's the application? How do we apply this today? Verse 16 says, if, if anyone wants to argue about this, we have no other custom, nor do the churches of God. In other words, one, if, if people want to argue, let's just, let's just set this aside. Okay, why are we here? Why are we here on this earth? We're here for God. We're here for Christ. We're here to bear the good news. I mean, because everything else we can enjoy when we get to heaven. I mean, what good thing can't you enjoy in heaven, really? I mean, you think heaven's going to be so much better, but there's one thing we won't be able to do when we get to heaven, is that is share the good news of eternal life. So if, if we're crippling our ability to share the good news to the world by demanding our rights, we're missing the point. We're winning all these battles but we're missing the point of representing the gospel so this is why we're here on this earth is to represent god so that people can come to faith in jesus and have eternal life that is why we're here and everything else is of lesser value now you got to keep telling yourself that i know that i do so as we examine context and culture back then and now today. What's interesting in, in the United States, in the last 60 years, they have developed what we call the new hermeneutic. Now, a hermeneutic is a method of interpretation. That's what I talked about earlier. 
is, and the, the new hermeneutic is that we're going to observe popular culture and the shifting, and particularly since World War II, there's been a real change in the culture in America. And so now, um, popular Christianity goes right in line with that. Maybe a few steps behind them, but they go right in line with popular culture. And then they go try and find a verse that goes along with it. And you know what? If you take verses out of context, you can make them say whatever you want to say. And so that's, that's popular Christianity, giving people what they want to hear. It's a very dangerous place to be. Many times we react to abuses uh, that are in the world by swinging in another direction and missing, uh, missing the whole point. And like I would say, the, the way women are treated around the world and even in America is horrible. But we don't just follow the trend of the world's response to that. We go, what is God's biblical model? What is he saying? Not competing, completing, oneness. Not difference in value or worth, difference in function. And when you have that, you're able to complete. You know, it's interesting how I'll, I'll sit down with friends on a variety of topics. Guys that are believe the same things I do, they come to different conclusions. And we all do that, don't we? I mean, we process God's word, and then we make the practical applications, and then we, we make decisions. And they're not all the same. And I've seen that with very close friends, family members. But one of the things that is a church and a church and a body of believers is that we honor and respect one another. And we give value to one another when there are things that are not of, of critical importance. We don't force our opinions or judge one another um, in that way. So when we think about the source of our problem, typically, whether it's your marriage or your family or the church, the source of our problems are pride, pride and self-centeredness. Because when I get all about me, I'm a disaster everywhere I go. And so I think this, that it's hard to live a life submitted, but that's what every believer is called to. Here's what Paul said. He said, I am crucified with Christ. Whew, that's pretty heavy language, isn't it? He said, nevertheless, I live, but not I, but Christ lives in me. So the concept of sacrifice and submission to God, submission to Christ, and submission to one another in loving ways, communicates and shows the world that, that way. So rather than demanding my rights, I embrace my responsibilities. I'm not demanding rights. I have a right to this. And you know what? As Americans, we have a lot of rights. And I'm not saying you don't vote for and contend for, um, because there are a lot of things I believe in, right for free speech and so forth. Okay. But there are a lot of Christians that don't have that in China and a lot of other countries. And so it's not the end of the world if we lose all that. And so I may, I may fight for those things and speak up for those things, but never to the point where it diminishes the gospel to the world. Does that make sense? We've got, we've got to remember that, the, the, the big picture. 
Diane and I have traveled a couple times out to Palau. Reed and Heather were out there. This is uh, it's probably the farthest away from where we live here in the world and the most remote place. So remember the last time we went there, it took 37 hours flying back. That's where Reed and Heather were. And I remember the first time preaching there, um, I preached in my bare feet. Now, I've, I've preached in jeans, and I've preached in a suit. I've preached a lot of different ways, a lot of different places. I've never preached in my bare feet. Now, when I was a kid, I'd run around everywhere in my bare feet. It didn't bother me. But, you know, when you get old, your feet get kind of tender. And uh, so, so I'm like this, walking into church on, on, <laughs> on Sunday morning. Now, if you walk into their church, and they got the most wonderful people, the wonderful music. And, and, but it just felt a little odd for me wearing my bare feet. <laughs> and, um, but I, it reminded me of this, is that it's, there's no verse in the Bible that talks about that. I mean, and, and I could say to them, show me the verse. I used to say that to my mother all the time. Uh, you, know, you know, she'd say, son, you need to do that. I'd say, well, show me the verse. <laughs> and there wasn't a verse, but there's a principle you know, honor your parents. <laughs> Just want them obey your parents. Um, but I, but I, I could fight it. I could say, you know, you know say, you know what? I'm going to wear my shoes. I think those people would have been fine, you know, in Palau because they're pretty laid back people. I could have just said, I'm going to wear my shoes, or I could have said, I'm going to wear the biggest boots I have just to, to, just to let you know that that's not in the Bible. And they could have come up to me and said. I can't believe, I, can't, I cannot believe you walked into the house of God and the presence of other believers wearing your shoes. I can't believe it. You see how this can go? Now, I'm picking on something pretty trivial. But this is how it goes down. We get all caught up in that. And what it does at the end is destroys fellow believers, destroys the witness and the effect of the gospel long term. So this is what we have to remember, that we're in this day, 21st century, in this culture with this eternal word. And we need to process through what he says and how it applies and act in ways that are pleasing to him. It all comes back to 1 Corinthians 10.31, where he says, glorify God above everything else. So really, this whole next section is supporting in practical ways that statement to glorify God. And Paul is saying, let me show you the way. I know it's a tradition. I know it's not going to last. I know it's a custom. But hey, you know what? Let's just be working together. You may have heard this quote before by Augustine. He was a um, 4th century theologian, just to me, one of my favorite writers of all time. He said, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. So the glory of God revealed in the person of Christ, communicated through his word, taught to us by his spirit, evidenced in an obedient life. That will change the world. And so it's dynamic. It's not static. It's always developing. So let's pray. We're reading the wisdom book. 
Let's pray that God gives us wisdom. That's really the, the plea of the entire letter, that God gives us wisdom and that we keep the main thing the main thing.